You're listening to A Conduit's Diary, a podcast featuring my diary entries as I investigate paranormal activity. This is rated explicit because I have a foul mouth and I'm kind of an asshole. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. Hey guys, it's me. I know I don't normally release an episode weekly, but I got my first like letter to the author and it brought up a really cool story that's actually one of my favorite stories to tell about where I'm from. So sit tight. This is a little bit different. A little I think you'll like it. Dear Rachel, I've heard you mention a place called the Superstition Mountains a few times in your stories. Is this place for real? I need the deets. Linda. Well, guys, I've gotten it. My first letter to the editor. Linda found me on Twitter, basically my only social media platform which I use to tweet out new episodes and follow local politicians. I'm aware that follower list will make my brain rot out of my head. Trust me, I regret it already. But I have to be honest with you all. The Superstition Mountains are real. Real, real. They sit in the eastmost part of the valley that everyone just calls Phoenix. If you head southeast enough and turn in that direction, you can see the big, bright red peaks, just a stone's throw away from the famous Four Peaks. The soups, as they're commonly called, command the eye and cast an impressive shadow on the desert floor below. People mostly know it for great hiking, amazing photo opportunities, and the ghost town that sits at the base. Locals, however, know the mountains didn't just get their name for funsies. In fact, some Apache tribes believe the hole leading down into hell is located in the mountain. The soups sit at Lost Dutchman State Park, named after the first explorer to kick off centuries of legend. In the 19th century, a Dutchman named Jacob Waltz went into the mountain and, allegedly, found a giant gold mine. You have to remember this was during the gold craze, and Arizona had really only been popular for copper and fool's gold. Since this story took hold, some estimated over 9,000 people have tried to find the mine. Stories abound. Mostly about the fact that a Dutchman was found in the 1870s dead, with saddlebags full of gold. Locals won't tell you that this was some distance away from the soups, but it adds to the allure. The first major story follows an Apache tribe that found the mine and mined it. Geronimo is even cited in relation to the mine, but you know how that goes. The story says that Miguel Peralta discovered it and then was massacred by the tribe in the 1850s. If you hike a bit off the beaten path, you'll actually find a place called Massacre Grounds, where these supposed murders happened. There are carved stones in the area people call Peralta Stones, with maps and Spanish text said to lead to the location of the mine. This story falls flat when the Miguel Peralta in question really lived in California and had a successful mine there, meaning the story is likely false. This tale became intertwined with the lore of the mountain due to a land grant, the Baron of Arizona, and some good old fraud. The stories about the mine and its origins all have one thing in common. There's gold in the soups, and most of those who try to find them meet their untimely end. The truth is, Jakob really existed. He emigrated to the U.S. from Germany in 1848, then moved to Arizona in the 1860s. He was an avid miner and prospector, but didn't have much luck in either. Until he sold $250,000 of gold to the U.S. Mint in the 1880s. And when he died in 1891, he had like $1,500 to his name. He died alongside a nurse named Julia Thomas, who, 
he disclosed the location of this hidden mine. Thomas and her partners tried to find the mine to no avail, but made a decent living selling maps to the mine for seven bucks a pop. It's possible that the story of the Lost Dutchman's mine would have totally ended there, with a mismatch of massacres, dead bodies loaded with gold, and a German prospector that randomly struck gold. But in 1931, the area was thrust into the popularity once more. See, Adolf Ruth, a treasure hunter, decided to make the trek to Arizona to find the mine himself. He found out about the mine from someone who claimed to be a descendant of the Peralta family, and they gifted him some antique maps to the site. This sparked Ruth to explore the mountain, and he was never seen alive again. They found his skull, which had two bullet holes in it, six months after he went missing, and the rest of his remains were found months later. Some legends say he had saddlebags filled with gold with him. Others claim he had a checkbook with a note claiming he discovered the mine with the phrase Veni Vidi Vici written. The only thing people can agree on is that the only thing missing from his person, other than his head, was the maps. The story crossed the nation and sparked interest in the mine once more. Through the 20th century, the hunts continued for the Lost Dutchman's mine. These hunts would end in death, either at the hands of whoever guards the mine, or the fact that an Arizona summer is not something to be trifled with. In the 1940s, the headless remains of a prospector were found in the mountains. A few years later, an author claimed to have narrowly escaped a sniper while hunting for the mine. Most recently include the deaths of Jesse Kappen in 2009, whose remains were discovered in 2012. In July of 2010, three Utah hikers, Curtis Merwith, Ardian Charles, and Malcolm Meeks went missing while looking for the mine. Merwith had actually attempted a similar mission in 2009 and required rescue from the mountain, which is not as uncommon as you think it is. People are always getting rescued from the mines in Arizona. Three remains presumed to be the lost men were found in 2011. The area does little to dispel the lore of the mountain. The park itself is known as the Lost Dutchman State Park, and at the base stands the Goldfield Copper Mine, an honest-to-goodness ghost town first established in 1893 after gold was discovered in the area. The town lasted all of five years before the gold ore dropped and the town was abandoned. It had a brief resurgence in the 1920s when former Secretary of State George Young opened some of the mines, but then it depleted again and the town was abandoned. In 1943, most of it was destroyed in a military exercise. But in the 1980s, the town was rebuilt, and you can actually visit it now, filled with shootouts and promise of Old West glory. Goldfield has its own set of ghost stories, including one of the first times I ever saw a ghost in public. Growing up in the valley, it wasn't unheard of to go to these ghost towns and dude ranches on field trip to eat some cornbread and dry steak and learn about the wild, wild west. What I found was a saloon filled with the voices of the dead and flashes of a figure donning a cowboy hat. It turns out I'm not the only one to see it. Stories of paranormal extended far enough for Zach Bagans to spend the night there to film an episode. From a conduit to a listener, I can only confirm there's some energy on that mountain. People talk about the vortexes of Sedona, but few people understand the magnitude of this mountain. Standing at the base of it is like standing before a great behemoth, its mouth open wide. Hiking Flatiron, one of the most prestigious peaks, is cited as a heavenly experience for some hikers. And while there's no good proof that the mine exists, those who frequent the mountain are filled with stories of the sound of jingling gold in a saddlebag whispered on the wind. 
I hope you guys liked a little bit of change in pace. Um, I love where I live, obviously, and there are some really cool ghost stories that are outside of things that I've personally experienced. The superstitions are one of my favorite stories to tell to people who visit just because it has such a cool history. Other cool places would be like Jerome and Bisbee. I mean, considering Arizona is only like a hundred and something years old, some really weird shit that's happened here. So as long as you guys like this, I'll continuing to kind of pepper these in every so often. Anyway, I'm back and I can't wait to give you more episodes about what's been going on in my life lately. A Conduit's Diary is created by me, written and produced by me, mixed horribly and edited by me. Cover art created by BMC Design on Fiverr. Music, intro and outro created by Chris Hornberger.